Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of 168,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast, featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, Tom Diaro. Thank you, Darlene. For our guest today, please welcome Ron Lloyd, National Sales Manager for KMEW Company, the manufacturer of Cereclad, leader in manufacture of specialized exterior building products for over 30 years in Japan. These products, including an exterior rain screen siding system, as well as roofing products and accessories, has earned KMEW a reputation for superior quality, durability, and healthy environmental-friendly living. KMEW and Cereclad has a large market share in Japan and continues their success in the U.S. market, which we'll be speaking about. For more information, feel free to visit www.kmew.co.jp slash Cereclad. Again, that's www.kmew.co.jp slash Cereclad. Hello, Ron. Hi, Tom. We're honored and excited to have you on the Modern Architect Show today. Thank you for coming out to see us. Well, thank you very much for having me. I I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to your audience, and uh, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. As I said, we're excited to have you. Ron, I'd like to start with some early inspiration. And uh, this isn't because it could be professional or personal, but our audience likes to know, what kind of made you who you are now and what, what you're doing now? If you can kind of look back as far as you can, like how you got involved or something, even in your childhood that said, you know what, I really like this. And you can kind of see how the correlation between now and, you know, how it started uh, early inspirations were, if you will. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's interesting, Tom. I didn't grow up thinking this is what I was going to be doing for a living. You know, growing up, I was more interested in sports played all the different sports and then Uh wound up going through college playing uh, competitive golf. And it was during my years in college that I began working, uh, you know, kind of in the family business at one of my dad's locations. He was in, in building products distribution. And one thing led to another, finished school, got married, had a good job working for the company, uh-huh. had opportunity to advance. And so I just, I stayed with that and wound up making a career of it. Really? So you've been obviously exposed in the building materials uh, space. Yes. Yeah. So did, was there anything that you can recall that kind of tickled you, if you will, like, you know what, I really like this. You know, there's certain facets of it that, that intrigue me. You know, the family history is in building products. My grandfather was a master carpenter. My dad was started as a carpenter before getting into building distribution. My uncles uh, are builders. My cousins are builders. So I've always been around it. And to watch something, you know, from the ground up to be constructed, it's rather fascinating. And as we've progressed with technology over the years and we've seen how, you know, the technology has been implemented to design and mm-hmm. construction, it's really, it became something that was more of a, a way to make a living while I was going to school that transitioned into, you know, it's, we're really making a contribution, with the construction industry. I mean, the built environment is full of talented, smart people, uh, innovative people, innovative, you know, ways that we do things to make things better. And as the industry has matured and as society has matured, we've seen a need to be, you know, more sustainable in what we do. Yeah. And, you know, being able to, you know, to work for different companies and, and learn 
different methods and means for contributing to a more sustainable environment is really what's kept me in the industry. And it's led me to the company I'm with now. It's, uh, you know, it's been very interesting seeing a foreign company, a company I work for now is a Japanese-based uh, company, see how they do things, how they look at things different, how the, the different culture impacts the way they operate the business and how they develop product. It's just, you know, it, it's kind of an exciting time for me and something I'm really enjoying. Super. Now, Japan, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So how was it born out of Japan, the sustainable material, correct? It is a very yeah. sustainable okay. material. Yes, it is. And, you know, when I joined the company and learned that our we have two parents, one being Panasonic Corporation and the other being Kubota Corporation. And being an American, you know, growing up, seeing, you know, Panasonic Electronics is what I always thought of. Yes. And then certainly when you hear the name Kubota in, in America, you think tractors. And of course, both of those companies are, are very well known for their electronics and for their tractors, but they're also very diversified international companies yeah. that, that had very large building products divisions that had very large investments towards developing new products, developing a sustainable you know, options in the built environment. And they came together in 2003 and merged their building products groups to form KMEW. Okay. So Kubota and Panasonic? Correct. 2003. 2003. Okay. Yeah. What was the inspiration from that, if you know or at liberty to share? Uh, no, from what I understand yeah. from the history as it's been explained to me, both of the companies had uh, fairly diverse building products businesses, and both of the companies had kind of an emphasis to grow their core businesses, which for Kubota is, is tractors and equipment, and for Panasonic is, um, you know, everything electronics. Mm -hmm. And they felt that bringing the two companies together would let them operate more efficiently and would give them a better opportunity under the, the KMU brand uh, to grow what was small portions, very large businesses in the building products, but small relative to their overall offerings that each of the companies had. Yeah. Um, so that kind of brought them together. And Panasonic had a more developed portfolio of products than Kubota. Kubota was a little more limited. And so Panasonic, as one of the two equal partners within the KMU brand, is, is the operating partner. So all, all of our management day-to-day -day from the corporate entity comes from the, from the Panasonic yeah. side. So how, what uh, influenced them to enter the U.S. market or North American market? Well, like any company, the, you know, there's no bigger market in the world than the U.S. market. And both companies were very familiar with the market from other products, other divisions within the organization. And they felt that uh, after nearly 30 years of, of producing our product and selling it in Japan and the South Pacific, it was time to begin to take the product to the rest of the world. So, North America wasn't the only place that they began expanding. They, they moved into Eastern Europe, moved deep into the South Pacific, down into Australia. And at that time, this is, we're talking about, boy, you know, 15 years ago, it was kind of, kind of before the formation of the formal KMEW company. It was, uh, that, that happened right after, came into the Pacific Northwest at a time when our, our system is a, a rain screen type of system mm -hmm. in, in the way it installs. And at that time, there wasn't a widespread knowledge of rain screen application, even though rain screen design in practice has been around since the Roman ages. It wasn't necessarily a common discussion that was being had in the architecture community on how to build a wall. Yeah. So the rain screen not being that familiar in, the, in this marketplace, how has your footprint been since you've been in the North America? Yeah. yeah. You know, we've been primarily focused up in the Pacific Northwest, which is a market area that rain screen wall systems work very well because of the amount of moisture. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the advancement in the development of rain screen systems and the promotion of rain screen systems came out of uh, Western Canada. They also have a, an environment that was ripe for, you know, needing superior moisture management systems for their wall assemblies. And so in the early days for, you know, probably the first 10 years, we were educating the architectural community about how to build with rain screen designs and spent a lot of the early years replacing siding systems on buildings that had failed because of moisture intrusion sure. problems. 
Yeah. So that failure, it's pretty significant. What's the response been from clients here in North America? Well, the good thing is that our system performs exceptionally well as a moisture management system. And because of that, this was like with any new product, it takes time. You have to earn trust. You have to build credibility. Uh, in the design uh, community and in the built environment for new products. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, so going through that process, providing the education and helping the, the designers understand the benefits that they're going to be uh, delivering to their clients is a process that takes time. But we found that once we get through that process and once they use the system, it performs so well that they come back and they become, you know, repeat clients. And, and we find that they're trying to find ways on every project that they incorporate some of our product because they know the performance is going to be there, so which means the value is there for their client. Yeah. How is the – well, we'll start with one. The first question is what were the architect's initial response to this solution? Yeah, well, you know, kind of – I mean, I wasn't there at the time, but from what I understand, our, our current president of KMU USA was one of the first people within the company that was sent over to start the business in North America. And talking with him in, in the early days, it was a little bit of like, what is this? What, what's a rain screen? <laughs> really? uh, explain this to me. You're telling me I'm going to put my cladding system is going to be separated from my wall? How's that going to work exactly? And <laughs> So, you know, they had to spend time to educate the designer, not only what the rain screen system is, but how you build it. How does this work? How is it tied back? How is structural, you know, impacted? Um, how does the moisture management work? And when you see, you know, you find some of the early projects were renovations that we were actually working with consultants who had been hired by building owners because they had, you know, major moisture intrusion problems. They had major mold problems. They had, you know, buildings uh, predominantly in those days that were, you know, multifamily buildings where the value was being impacted, the cost to, for maintenance, the effect on the rates for the tenants because they just the, the conditions weren't proper. So we were brought in to help them solve, and consultants were able to see the value right away. So they brought us in renovated, remediated the issues, and then it would install our system as a solution for the new cladding. And and honestly, it's it's strange. Up in the Pacific Northwest, we don't see stucco to the same extent that she sees yeah. stucco down here, although there was, at one point, they, there was a lot of stucco that was being used, and almost all of those early days of stucco projects in the Northwest failed. <laughs> There's too yeah. much moisture and, yeah. and too much uh, moisture being trapped in the walls. So we spent a lot of time replacing stucco with a fiber cement panel that looks like stucco, but doesn't have any of the performance issues of stucco. Yeah. How do you, do you quantify the testing of, uh, of the units? Is it Japan, U.S., both? Yeah, it's both. So that's a good question. It's something that I didn't realize until I joined the company. But in Japan, there's a lot of oversight or the regulation of the industry is done by the industry. And so in Japan, they have what's called the Japanese Industry Standard or JIS tests. And pretty much all the same things that we would test for here in the United States, whether it be as part of industry standard or whether it be something that's been adopted by the code, they're testing for there as well. Some of the differences being that in Japan, companies are allowed to self-test. And so the larger oh, companies will provide all their own in-house testing to demonstrate compliance for with whatever the regulations are for the industry. And what that means for us is because we're so big with Panasonic, it's really fascinating when you go back to uh, Japan and visit the Panasonic technical campus. It's like a city. It's not really um, like going to a building. It's like you're going to this town that every Panasonic business worldwide has their technical and R&D operations are located at the same campus. Really? And, and like if you were in Mountain View? Yeah, exactly. The whole town of Mountain View works. It's kind of like that. I wouldn't say that it's as big as being in Mountain View. Okay. Yes, it's along the same lines. You go in, the town is called Nara, and there's certainly, you know, services around the Panasonic campus, but a lot of the business, the people that are living there, or they're supporting the Panasonic mm -hmm. business. That's where the tech center is. And so within there, we can do just about anything in-house in terms of testing that you would find, you know, at a UL lab or an Intertech lab or, you know, any of the other different testing facilities that you'd find around the U.S. and, and Canada. We can do all that stuff in-house. So in yeah. Japan, we do it in-house. But then in the United States, the standards are a little different. So we also have the same testing done using ASTM 
OEM standards here or whatever the standard NFPA, you know, National Fire Protection Association standards, whatever the case may be, we have the local testing that's done in North America to comply with, you know, the product that we're selling here. Yeah. And then we also have some of the testing that we do in Japan that's not really part of code, but it demonstrates some of the interesting qualities of our system that will bring the results from the tests in Japan over and utilize those here in the state. Yeah. Is it any more or less stringent than from your experience than what the U.S. United States requires? Or they're almost on par with each other? I would say that they're on par with each other, and there's probably some aspects of it because of the cultural differences that might be more stringent. When you look at a a typical wall assembly in the built environment here, you know, you've got different manufacturers are providing different aspects of that wall assembly. So you get, you know, the framing, the insulation for energy performance, the sheathing for shear or for shear and fire. And then you've got your waterproofing in the wall. Mm -hmm. And then you've got your, your facade material, which is providing both, you know, deflective protection for the wall. Plus it's providing, you know, aesthetics. In Japan, the way it's viewed is all of that whole wall is like the responsibility of one company. Whereas here, you know, you've got different companies that have different responsibility with different warranties that might be in play um, throughout that wall assembly. And, and you're, the, the owner or the, the designer is not looking at just one manufacturer saying, hey, you own that mm-hmm. whole wall. Yeah, this is great. We'll return to that when we uh, get back. You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford. 90.1 FM. Imagine if you couldn't hear us right now or enjoy KZSU's music or public affairs programs. Disabling hearing loss affects 48 million Americans and more than 360 million people worldwide. Yet many do not have access to hearing devices. Starkey Hearing Foundation brings understanding among people through hearing care. The foundation gives away more than 175 hearing aids every year. To meet its goals, it needs generous donations from people like you. If you're interested in learning more, visit StarkeyHearingFoundation.org. That's S-T-A-R-K-E-Y, StarkeyHearingFoundation.org. We're talking today with Ron Lloyd, National Sales Manager, KMU or KMEW Company Limited, the manufacturer of Seraclad. For more information, Feel free to visit www.kmew.co.jp slash Syraclad. That's www.kmew.co.jp slash Syraclad. Ron, you're talking about the, uh, the testing and the similarities. How about the cultural differences and similarities between Japan and the U.S. and how it really works with uh, architects and specifiers? Yeah, it's really interesting that there's most definitely a difference in the culture in Japan. And I, and I can tell you a couple of things that, you know, become very obvious. So as I listen to you, you know, describe in the intro how to reach us via the website. And our website is currently hosted under our parent company, Japanese website. So it's a very long web address. And you would think something like that would be very simple to change. But because of the cultural differences, um, you know, the Panasonic company culture takes security to, you know, the nth degree. And because of that, there's little things that occur, like having our own website for the USA business hosted on a normal USA server, like you go to GoDaddy.com or sure. something. We can't do that because of the, they're so strict about ensuring the security of the site that it has to be done through a Panasonic controlled server. So we have our own servers in Japan. Now, I can tell your audience, fortunately, in the very near future, you won't have to go through the long string. You'll just be able to go www.saraclad.com as we're relocating our site to the Panasonic North American server, which still meets our security requirements but eliminates that long chain. Yeah. So when you talk about culture difference, so the Japanese culture is very much one of team. Everybody is viewed as kind of being on an equal playing field. Everybody is viewed as having the same value in terms of contribution. When you look at, say, the way we look at something as simple as an office environment, in the U.S., as you work in the office environment, you have a combination of, say, cubicle styles and then individual offices. Depends on the level you're at in the company, the politics or whatever as to whether you're in an office (laughs) or a cubicle. In Japan, because of the team culture, there are no individual offices. 
the company, uh, as an example, the board of directors that runs our company is made up of uh, members from both Panasonic and Kubota, and they're the leaders of the company. So the you know the department heads for human resources, for sales, for R and D, you know, research and development, whatever the case may be, that's the board. Well, those individuals they don't have individual offices; they sit together with their team in shared space with, you know, not even really individual desks. It's almost more like a elementary school style where the, you know, the desks are all lined up and everybody sits side by side and everybody works together and supports each other together, including the most senior people. They're sitting with their team. So it's, as we preach in the U.S., you know, whether it's in business school or companies that are, you know, preaching to their team, it's, you know, there's no I in team. It's very much, uh, you know, trying to, to push a team. So is that enforced? It's, not in an enforced it's, it's in a not negative so much way. Enforced. But, uh, it's just part of the culture. It's just part okay. of the nature of the way they do things. Now over here, our Japanese, our president of our company locally is Japanese, and we do talk. We spend a lot of team talking about team. It's part of our culture that we present to the marketplace. We work together as a team. We work together as a unit. We we share responsibility. We help. There's never going to be a case where you're going to hear one of our people say, "Hey, that's not my job. You need to talk to so and so." You know, everybody will always step forward and try and and contribute and help them, you know, whatever the help that's needed might yeah. be. And that's very different than what you would typically see in an American company. The downside from the Japanese side, the, the Japanese culture, they're very good at taking and making things better, but there's not a lot of innovation. Okay. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of thinking outside the box. It's very much encouraged as part of that team culture that everybody you know, is similar. If you have a chance to visit Japan, you'll see the work day starts with everybody moving together. Everybody's dressed similarly. There's not a lot of individualism. Very much, you know, a lot, a lot of you know the same in in terms of the you know the way people look and dress and that sort so of thing. So there's uniformity. There's a lot of uniformity. Okay. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Yes, and so. When we bring that, how we apply that, the great thing is, is when we look at how we, you know, try and provide value to our, to the marketplace, Mm -hmm. we can count on anybody on our team to help out on anything at any time. We don't have to worry about, you know, you got to only talk to that person. Now, certainly there's a decision-making tree. So things that need to have decisions that are outside of, you know, the normal, you know, standard operating procedure might need a decision, but we make decisions as a group. Anybody in our organization can speak with the president at any time. There's no, you know, it's an open door and it's a truly open door. And president, whether it's the president of our USA company or the president of the parent company back in Japan or the president of the big company, Panasonic, you know, they value the feedback and they actually listen. I like that you You, said they actually listen. They actually listen. (laughs) And they, if you can provide a reasonable, you know, basis on why something should be done, why something should be changed, why something's needed, they'll listen and they'll act on it. And the communication channel's wide open and everybody is is viewed as having similar value. Everybody is viewed as being a contributor and that yeah. it doesn't matter whether you're working on the manufacturing line or you're the guy out in the in the field selling or where you're in the in the lab, everybody's contributing so everybody has value. Yeah, and and that's it's pretty neat to work in that type of an environment. Yeah, so you have that advantage, and then how about the R and D? You said innovation may not be as um, rec- not as a strong suit, I guess, or maybe I'm saying incorrect, but just not as as uh, innovative as other industries or spaces. How about R and D? How aggressive or assertive is the R and D for uh, Cam EW and Seraclad with yeah. new products and to solve problems? Well, and there's kind of two aspects to that, so you can look at R&D is um, trying to come up with, uh, you know, the completely different new way of doing something. And we're probably not real focused on, you know, reinventing the wheel and trying to come up with a whole new way to do something. But what we're really good at is taking what we're already doing and making it better, continuously improving it. Continuous improvement is, you know, kind of a management style that originated in Japan, was implemented in Japan in the automotive industry. And when you look at things that we do, like, you know, taking protective coating on a product and figuring out how to improve it based upon what's needed in the marketplace, really good at that. Taking, you know, manufacturing operations and try to figure out how to make them more efficient. 
so that you can control cost or even lower costs. We're very good at that. Maybe not so much at coming up with a whole new way to make it. You know, that's more of an innovative thing that I'm sure the Japanese innovate as well. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure sure there's innovation that occurs because everybody, we're all people. But their strength is being able to take something and make it better, make it more efficient, make it perform better. Uh, make it more cost-effective, make it last longer. And R&D Group is really good at that. Yeah. How how responsive are you to even, not just being um, bringing product to market and satisfying the solutions for architects and specifiers, but how about, have, have architects or specifiers ever approached you with problems that they have and you've kind of looked at it within your product line? Yeah. Okay. You know, that's a great point. And there's two aspects to that. Uh, one, we most definitely like to take feedback. And as we look at what's happening in the marketplace, what challenges our customers are facing, the feedback that we get from the marketplace, we do regularly try and implement that into our communication channel and work with the R&D people to see, okay, so how can we, how can we find a solution that makes this better? And our R&D team, our technical team is very good and very responsive, you know, to finding solutions. As an example, we've been having a request for a particular color in one of our textures that more resembles more of a cedar. And we've reported and talked internally about how can we do this, you know, with what we have available. And within a matter of months, our R&D team... Months? Months. Went out and found a solution that was able to provide a, a look that we've been getting requested. Um, and it's kind of a multi-phase process. We're introducing the color now, um, which is kind of step one that approximates what they're asking for. And then step two is we're going to make some modification to the texture as well to let that, again, more closely resemble what it is that they're asking for. So that's one aspect of how we deal with feedback. The other aspect of how we deal with feedback is we, we try to routinely have events where we can bring architects in. And, and we provide some, you know, some education to them that's of value. And then we also um, ask them point blank for their feedback. We'll show them products that we have in the development pipeline to get feedback from them. You know, what do you think? This is what we're thinking. This is kind of what we think it'll do and how it's going to look. And we get input from them so that we can, before we bring a product to market, we've, you know, kind of vetted the design community to a certain extent to see how well it's going to be received, whether we're on the right you know, path, whether the design is going to fit what they're looking for, kind of what the trends in the market. And, and it gives us the ability to be pretty effective with new product launches being ready to go without having, um, you know, to kind of experiment with it once we release them. Excellent. This is The Modern Architect on KZSU, Stanford 90.1 FM. Now you can be part of your neighborhood's greatest resource. Check out Link Ages Time Bank, where you can give and receive help, share hobbies and interests, and learn new skills. Link Ages Time Bank is a community-based service exchange network supported by Palo Alto Medical Foundation, part of Sutter Health. Members earn hours by providing services and use those hours to receive services in return. For more information or to register for an orientation, visit linkages.org. We're talking today with Ron Lloyd, National Sales Manager of KMEW, or K-M-E-W Company, the manufacturer of Cyroclad. For more information, feel free to visit www.kmew.co.jp slash Cyroclad. That's kmew.co.jp slash Cyroclad. Ron, what are the components of Cyroclad? And you kind of how, how it got started. Like, hey, we've discovered uh, something that's not only sustainable, but of significant value to uh, the built environment. So when you look at the product itself, the Cereclad panel, is a, it's a fiber cement product. It's a medium density fiber cement, which is made from Portland cement, silica sand, some admixed uh, that's proprietary, and then a fiber component, which in okay. our case is a, a recycled pulp. And it's a very durable product when it's when it's manufactured, which means it's a very long life uh, expectancy product. So we're talking fifty plus years. Oh, which, right. when you look at sustainability, sustainability is all about you know what is the impact that we're having on our environment, and it and it's not just about recyclability, but recyclability is important because we want to reduce the use of new resources whenever we can. 
But when you look at how how long a product lasts, I mean, that has a big impact. Because even if you're using new resources, if it's if it'll last 50 to 100 years, you're only using those resources once. Whereas if you're making something that you got to replace every you know 15 or 20 years, you're having to use those resources over mm-hmm. and over again. So fiber cement is a product that is capable of, of having a very long-lasting performance while also being very recyclable. So the Cereclad system itself is made from a minimum of 44% recycled material. Of that, 15% of it is post-consumer, and about roughly 30% is pre-consumer. And the product is 100% recyclable at end of life. So 100%? 100%, that's correct. In in Japan, we actually do recycle product at end of life. And and it goes into, we we recycle product at end of life that comes out of the marketplace. And we also recycle all of the waste that's created during manufacturing. And it all goes back into the product. Yeah, so there's a trend, a trend in the marketplace. You've obviously, you've discovered it, but also that's kind of timeless, that process that you're talking about. Yes, and there's a significant value to that. How else are you, uh, you do you kind of keep forecasting what the market's looking for? Do you have specific people for that or you just gauge your the feedback from the market itself? Yeah, well, you know, one of the things about our system that's unique for fiber cement is that we produce a medium density product that's thicker than the typical fiber cement that you would see in the marketplace. And because of that extra thickness, we're able to put faux finish on it. So when you look at, you know, kind of how we go to market, we recognize that in the built environment, you start with a concept and the designer works with their client to, you know, to develop that concept. And as they go through, they have to deal with things like, you know, the dreaded budget. (laughs) And so they may have this concept and this idea of what they want something to, to, to look like. And in the early, you know, schematics, they're, you know, they're sketching it out. They're kind of looking at, okay, this is kind of the lines that I want to see and how everything's going to go together. And then as they work through design development, they start figuring out, okay, which products am I actually going to use? And how do I achieve kind of what that look was that was created in the early design. And so you may have different types of materials that have been envisioned, things like terracotta clay or, you know, different types of metal panel systems or, you know, maybe phenolic panel systems. There's there's lots of different options that designers have available to them. And as they go through that design development process, they start to figure out very quickly, okay, so what what's going to fit with my budget? And so where we fit the market really well is when the designer wants to achieve a particular kind of look and the owner's budget won't afford that particular product that gives them that look, we have a lot of options that imitate that look, that allow the designer then to use a a system that will fit with the budget, provide similar long-term performance, but isn't necessarily that original material. So as an example, we have a project we did very recently in the city of San Francisco that the original design was to have terracotta panels that were creating this nice, bold look. And unfortunately for the designer, terracotta was too expensive. So they came to us and we have a product that looks just like terracotta, doesn't have the weight of terracotta and doesn't have the cost of terracotta. So it fit with their client's budget. And when it's all said and done, down on the street looking up at it, you can't tell the difference. It looks just like terracotta. Yeah. So we have different finishes for that, whether it be metal panels or terracotta or we have faux stucco look that can give you performance of, of a rain screen system without, you know, necessarily the issues and, and the look that you get with stucco. We've got panels that look like wood that won't have any of the maintenance issues that are associated with wood. So we can kind of keep up with the trends as we see what the design community is doing and present them with a look. We've seen a trend over the last few years back towards a a desire to use board form concrete. Really? Yeah. You know, it's a great look and it's very durable, but it's really expensive. And so we very quickly came out with a board form concrete (laughs) option that we have a panel that can give you that appearance. It's more of a kind of an old 70s style four inch lap form versus say a big sheet pour that you might see with say tilt up or even, you know, more of a larger panel, typical board form concrete. But we're able to respond and help the designers kind of meet their needs and meet what they're trying to, you know, trying to do in the design without, you know, and eliminate some of the obstacles that they face with doing that. Yeah. On your website, uh, the press releases and some of the news, uh, the magazines that I've seen, uh, Cereclad on the buildings look gorgeous. I mean, they, you. your work it looks absolutely gorgeous. Out of say ten buildings or structures, how many could benefit from Cereclad? 
they would actually not only aesthetically uh, be more pleasing, but actually functionally be uh, solve that act as a rain screen. How many out of, say, 10? I mean, I don't know if you ever quantified this number, but I'm trying I, to give our listeners uh, some a frame of reference. Yeah, I don't know that I could say that I could quantify that. And I'll tell you, I'm biased because I work for the company. But sure. in my opinion, I would say 10 out of 10. Really? And, and, okay. Yeah. And Share I can, with us why. I, I, I think so, but you know, yeah. Yeah, I can tell you. you that when, when you look at the, you know, kind of the building science research, when you, when you think about how to build a wall, creating a cavity space between the facade material and the wall creates a condition that allows for that wall to dry and to stay dry. Mm-hmm. And, and what we do know from experience is that it doesn't matter what you do for your wall system, for your cladding system, for your roofing system moisture is going to get inside. And problems, moisture is very destructive. And especially if the moisture is trapped and doesn't have a way to get out, it becomes very destructive. If, if insulation is wet in the wall cavity, it stops performing um, as it should. If you can get it dried out, it'll start performing again. Wood framing rots with moisture. Steel framing rusts with moisture. So it's very important that we make sure that there's a means for moisture that's in the wall system to get out of the wall system. And a rain screen cavity has been proven through, you know, testing and through science that when you have your facade material separated from the wall and you've got that air gap that's there, the wall system will dry better than it would if the facade was directly up against the wall. So when you look at systems that, you know, the way we typically build, anytime you can introduce an air cavity and a rain screen design, you're going to have a better performing wall system. Does that mean that it's always necessary? No. But certainly, if it's instituted or implemented into the, the design, you're going to have a better performing wall system. Yeah. How about your competitors? How, how have you... Um... Do you look at competitors as uh, a traditional competitors? They sell, we sell, we got the same thing or similar, or we do uh, provide the same type of a result? Or do you look at it as we're coming from the, the customer or the client's perspective and how can we best fit that and fest, best fit them versus uh, let's try to outsell or outperform X company? Yeah. Well, I think when you look at how we go to market, so we really don't sell because okay. our the part of the built environment that we're engaging with is the, is the architectural community, the design community, and they're not buyers. So you're, That's true. you're, not, yeah. you're not selling yeah. architects anything. All, all you can hope for is that you can provide them value, you can provide them education, you can provide them information, and you can earn their trust. And if you can do that, then they'll come to you and they'll listen to you and they'll seek your advice You know, when they have either design requirements or issues that they need to overcome. And when you look at who we're competing with, I mean, we're a, a facade material. So there's all sorts of choices that oh, can sure, be yeah. utilized in the facade. And whether it's one brand or another or one material type or another, doesn't really matter to us. We're trying to provide a solution for that wall. And we're trying to meet the design requirements that the architect's trying to achieve. And we're certainly trying to, to, to meet or exceed the performance requirements. And so we feel like if we can provide that value, that, you know, there really isn't any competition for that. It's, it's, you <laughs> yeah. know, it's, it's something that, you know, can set you apart from the competition because you're now providing value. You're not providing a product. Yeah. Ron, do you look at the built environment just on a day-to-day basis from your travels or your, your goings-on as like, oh, this building can really use Cereclad? Is it Does it ever hit you like that? or? Uh... I think I'll be honest with you. You know, somebody that's been in the industry for my whole career, and sadly, I'm, you know, I'm old enough to say that it's you know, 30 <laughs> years doing this. That's not sad. That's excellent. You yeah. Know, well, you know, as, as we get older, we'd like to have the physical capabilities of our youth with the uh, wisdom that we gain over, over time. But it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter what company I've worked for in the industry, you know, or what product that I've been involved in. It's pretty hard not to, you know, when you see something coming out of the ground, you immediately (laughs) think, hey, what's happening on (laughs) that? You know, we need to, we need to help them on that project. Or whether you see something that's, you know, that's just finished and you look at it and you think, oh my goodness, I can't believe they did that. We could have really helped them. Um, you know, they're being yeah. more efficient or be more cost effective or, you know, give them a, a better way to, you know, create that look. And yeah. so, yeah, it's, you, it, you can't help but just everything you see, not thinking in those terms. Yeah. What were some of the initial challenges? And we're going back a bit, but what were some of the initial challenges from the company being from Japan into the United States initially? Was it just the, the responsiveness, the 
getting to the people, uh, their well, respect, receptiveness? When Our product type is different than anything that else that's out there in the marketplace. And so when we first came to North America, we not only had to educate the design and consulting community about you know, how range screen works, how our system works. We also had to educate the installation community. We had, uh, you know, to train installers, not only on how to install it properly, but how to take it, you know, do the takeoff, how to figure out how much material they need, how to handle it. I mean, it's a big deal, you know, basically starting, um, you know, a business from scratch, which is really what we were doing in, in North America. We had lots of resources back in Japan, but on the ground locally, we had to do it all ourselves. And so we found in the early days, we were doing takeoffs for installers that, you know, kind of... As a uh, add-on service? Oh, it was as kind of a required service. Oh, I mean, wow. I think okay. of add-on services as something that maybe you charge for. <laughs> yeah. No. It was like, hey, this is how you do this. And by the way, here's how much material you need. Yeah. And in the earliest days, we were even pre-cutting everything for the installer and delivering oh. it pre-cut, ready to go on the wall. Thank Kevin, we don't do that anymore. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, you know, when, when you're starting a business, you kind of do whatever you have to, to to get things going and to be able to train and educate everybody that needs to understand how to do it. And so, you know, that I wasn't there at the time, but listening to some of the stories from our current president who was there at the time, it's quite interesting how things have changed. Yeah. Let's, let's, I want to touch back on some of the joys of uh, that experience or learning from that experience when we return. You're listening to The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. Music has been used for healing since ancient times. Healing Muses provides high-quality live music featuring the harp as part of innovative healing programs to support patient care in Bay Area hospitals, hospices, and convalescent centers. The organization relies on generous support from public and private sources, including individuals. If you'd like to help, you can visit www.healingmuses.org or email information at healingmuses.org. We're talking today with Ron Lloyd, National Sales Manager for KMU or KMEW Company, the manufacturer of Syraclad. For more information, feel free to visit www.kmew.co.jp slash Syraclad. That's kmew.co.jp slash Syraclad. What examples, uh, what, what, uh, if you're at liberty to share with us, some projects that you've had Syraclad and uh, get to experience the, uh, the solutions it provides? Yeah. Well, you know, there's a, there's a project we just recently finished that I think provides kind of a good example of how we can help the designer. So there's a you know, big hotel right on Lake Washington. I don't think there's any reason why we can't name it. It's a Hyatt Regency. That when the designer working with the developer, you know, was doing the initial designs, they had a vision for what some people like to refer to as, you know, uh, high-end materials for the facade. And what they discovered very quickly was that it just wasn't affordable. <laughs> and so um, at the recommendation of, of an installer, they came to us and said, okay, look, here's what we're trying to accomplish. And here's the look that we're trying to accomplish can you help us? And so we were able to provide them with a solution that gave them the color they wanted, gave them the panel look and orientation that they wanted, and did it all within the budget that they were looking to achieve. So they were starting with this idea that they wanted a you know a full route and return metal metal panel type system that was just coming in you know close to double what the budgeted amount was. And so by switching it to the Seraclad system, they were able to fit within the budget and still get a look that looks just like that. And it's one of those projects that you wouldn't typically see a fiber cement type product on because it's right on Lake Washington. So it's, uh, it's got a exposure D's, you know, open wind speed requirement. It's got a high wind base speed because it's right on the lake and it's a 12 story building. It's the tallest building in Renton, Washington. And so, you know, working with the developer and the design team, we actually had to do project specific testing to uh, prove that our product was suitable to, Did be, you really? to be used on that project. Was that their requirement or? Uh... Well, it's, it's part, I mean, obviously when you have a civil, yeah. you know, the, the project engineer is going to determine uh, okay. design load requirements and you do the calculations and we're very conservative as a Japanese company. So we, you know, what we published was lower than what the design requirements were. <laughs> 
And, and we felt comfortable that our product exceeded their design requirements. So we worked with them to go in and we did the testing specific for that project. And, and the testing showed that the product was fine for that um, project. So, you know, so we've got a, a scenario where, you know, kind of a marquee type business name mm-hmm. at a marquee location, waterfront location. I've, I've been on site and you've watched the people coming in from Seattle on, you know, on their yachts and parking at the dock at the base of the hotel and coming in and having brunch and yeah. then heading back to Seattle. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of a marquee place and it's great because it's, you know, the whole building's clad with our product. And, you know, it was, it's a classic example of how we can take, take a product and give them a look that they're trying to achieve while still giving them the performance they want all at a price that they can afford. Yeah. So does it typically move along through someone like a Hyatt? Like, okay, they've got another hotel they'd like you to work on. I don't know how, if that works that way or how... Uh, it can. It depends. Yeah. You know, these chains are, are oftentimes owned individually mm-hmm. as a franchise. So it depends on who the owner is. Depends on, you know, if it's a large, like in this particular case, the Southport development's a big development with an influential developer. So, you know, they have it. But what we find most of the time is color scheme is very much controlled by the parent entity in the in the chain environment but not necessarily material you know materiality or texture that sort of thing there can be some variance and when you look at the the Hyatt Regency chain you see a lot you know look around the world you get to see a lot of different looks it's not kind of like say a more of a I don't want to say lower end because I, you know, I think in like in the Ickles Hotel Group chain, Holiday and Express is a lower. It's a end. theme to them. It's a but it's a theme yeah. to it. Yes. So you'll see more consistency in the theme, but when you get in a, you know, say the the higher end of the brands, you'll see more adaptability to yeah. the market where they're at. Yeah. What what um you mentioned color several times. I noticed. What are the color variants for Sarah Clad? Yeah. So we have options that allow for standard color choices that the designer can choose from, which makes for very fast, efficient, high-performing color mm-hmm. stability on the project. And then for the designers that have specific needs where they've got to have a color that's not one of the standard options, we offer a, a creative custom color option that lets them choose from virtually any color in the rainbow. Really? Yeah. Okay, so that customization is an option. It's very much so an option. Is it yeah. contingent on anything, you know, a certain volume or? No, no? there is a minimum for okay. uh, the minimum requirement is 600 square feet per custom color, which when you think about a wall, that's not very much. That's a pretty low number. So the barrier to entry for them to use custom color is pretty low. Okay. So it's low, low barrier of entry. But uh, segue into this, it sounds like you've overcome a significant number of challenges coming from Japan to North America, United States. Uh, what's it like experiencing some of the joys of the success for uh, KMEW and Sarah Clad now, after you've gone through all that? Now? You know, it, it's really fun working for the company for a couple of reasons. One, because of the team environment. Everybody, you know, works closely together and supports each other. And two, because we're building something new. We've been in North America for 15 years, 16 years now. But still pretty young. Ah, yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. And so we're, we've recently begun expanding and taking our message out of just the Pacific Northwest or the West Coast, expanding across the country. And, and one of the things that's really fun about working for the company is every little success we have individually has a big impact and is a big contribution. So everybody that's a part of our team, everything they do matters. And it matters not only to the client in the field, but it matters to the company because we're we're such a tight-knit group and we're such a, a young company in terms of our presence in North America. So it, it makes it fun when you know every day when you get up, everything you're going to do today is going to make a difference. Yeah. Um, and and that, that makes it a really enjoyable place to work. Yeah. So you're, you're making a difference, not just in a company, but a solution to architects, but you're also making it with the sustainability. Is that always like at the forefront? Well, sustainability is kind of second nature nature as part of the Japanese I like that. Culture. So it's second nature. It really is. Yeah. And it's okay. and when you think about Japan as an island and it's a small island with a you know a decent sized population. So everything they do daily is first and foremost thought of as has to be sustainable. So when you look at where we have we're implementing recycling and you know waste management in the United States and depends on where you live and what part of the country you might have a bin for recycling you might have two bins for recycling you go to Japan there's five different bins they're separating everything 
at source. When you look wow. at certain things like coffee, coffee grounds don't get thrown away in Japan. They get recycled. They get reused. They do, really? For a variety of things from- Coffee grounds. Uh, you know, in, in farming, there's uses to different uses that the product can be put back into manufacturing. Not as new coffee. But in other other uses, so <laughs> yeah. you know, it's it, there. It's it's the resources are finite in Japan. Space is finite in Japan. So they've long ago figured out that they have to be very efficient. They have to be very sustainable, and they have to be creating and recycling at a very high level. And so yeah. we kind of carry that culture with us here, and what we do in the United States. And it's it's also fun because the trend in the market is towards more sustainability. Yeah. The trend in the community is towards more sustainability. You know, the trend in life is towards more sustainability that we're recognizing as people that we have to be more sustainable because there's, you know, we have a finite number of resources on this yeah. planet and we got to make sure they last. Yeah. So the, the, that trend internationally is actually a way of life. It, it is a like. way of life in Japan. That is correct. Yeah. So it's a way of life. Is there anything else that we haven't, uh, well, there's a, a lot, I've got a lot of questions we still haven't even answered. So I hope you, you, you <laughs> consider coming back. Anything that you would like to tell our audience, not our audience, just our audience, but even architects and specifiers, the, the advantage of KMEW and Seraclad and how it can actually help to uh, increase the sustainability. Yeah. So when you look at the real strength of our product as a proprietary finish system that we put on. So you get a factory finished product, which saves resources on the job site, saves time. Um, you get a long life product with a high level of performance, 50 plus years expectation for the product. And the finish has, has a life expectancy to be stable in color for greater than 20 years. And what does that mean when you look at maintenance for build a big uh, resource hog for, you know, building products after they've, you know, the building is built is how much yeah energy exactly. time money resources do we have to maintain what we've got with our facade system there's very little maintenance that's required for a very very long time so you do it once you're not repainting you're not reciting you know you put it in place and it looks new for many 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 years to come which is you know again Use the resources once and don't have to use them again for a very long time is a very sustainable way to build. Yeah. Ron, it's been a pleasure and an honor having you. Perfect. Thank, Thank you, Tom. It's Th been a pleasure to be Thank here. Thank you. We hope you, seriously, hope you consider coming back again very soon. We'd love to have you. All right. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dioro. Our guest today has been Ron Lloyd, National Sales Manager for KMEW or KMU, the manufacturer of Cyraclad leader in manufacturing of specialized exterior building products for over 30 years in Japan. The products, including exterior rain screen siding systems, as well as roofing products and accessories, they've earned KMEW a reputation for superior quality, durability, and healthy, environmentally friendly living. KMEW is a leading manufacturer in Japan and in the United States, moving up, that's for sure. They continue their success in our, the U.S. market. For more information, feel free to visit www.kmew.co.jp slash Cyraclad. That's kmew.co.jp slash Cyraclad. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and is a production of KZSU Radio. Today, the recording engineer is Darlene Franklin, Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Caleb B. Smith. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Diero. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu.